What's up, Internet? Welcome to Conversations. I'm your host, Augustine Sanchez, founder of The Photographic Journal. I'm excited to have Sydney Clare with us today. Sydney's a fashion and editorial photographer with a passionate love for color and shadow and drop-dead gorgeous photography. Sydney, welcome. What's up, audience? How's everybody doing in this lovely corona evening? <laughs> Sydney, thanks for joining us. Um, I've really been enjoying um, a lot of the work that you're putting up and the essay that you did on, on the Photographic Journal a couple, I think it's like two, three weeks ago now. I was really excited when you guys hit me for the, the, the essay, by the way. I, um, I had really wanted a publication to pick those up and it was like you guys emailed me and were like, hey, we want to pick this up. But I was like, yes, like it was the greatest thing. Um, I, I love when stuff ends up working out like that because I... I wanted those to be like cohesive somewhere on a platform, and um, you guys have such a great platform for a cohesive body of work. So I was really happy when you guys reached out for that. Well, we definitely like hearing that. I think that the team um, definitely has a passion for looking at emerging artists, finding people that we think are really talented and amazing, and kind of building a community around them. Yeah, definitely. I think like. Even even on the platform, um, as I was mentioning to you a little bit before, um, I've gone through a lot of the essays on the platform, and a lot of the photographers that you guys end up featuring are people I follow, people whose work I really like. I'll be like, oh, this person ended up shooting this, and um, I think it shows a pattern in just like the type of work you guys like to bring in, and like how multifaceted a lot of the artists that you guys bring in are, um, and how like you kind of border again, you know, on that mix of editorial, fashion, and fine art, and stuff with concept and that concept-heavy base. No, it's really interesting because the site started as a primarily just an interview site, you know, promoting long-form content, which, you know, to be honest, isn't always the most popular thing on the web. I don't think that everyone's reading, you know, photo essays or that are literal essays, like our features, or the interviews that are like, you know, 2,000 to 3,000 words. And early on, I was like, we should do essays. Like, we, it's going to be easier for me to put together. It's going to be easier. It's, it's, a, it's photography. You know, people want to see beautiful photos. And I think that there's something to be said, like you were saying, about a cohesive piece of work that where you can really explore. You know, it's not just serving up one photo, but you can, it's kind of like a mixtape, right? You can put your photos in a certain sequence in order to evoke a certain mood and, and really explore what you want visually. I think like, I remember first hearing about your platform when I was in art school, actually. And um, one of my professors had told me to follow the platform. And what I like the most about it is you guys bring that art school kind of rigor back in the way that you guys have concept heavy work on your site. And I think that a lot of editorials now, a lot of things that are being published are missing that concept heavy work where you can really see a storyline and a concept throughout the images. And, you know, I think that, again, that's that bridge between editorial and fine art that it's super important to bridge those two because you have to have those concept heavy things. Like even in school, I remember I argued with a lot of professors for a long time about fashion work being art. And, you know, I had my disagreements, but in the long run, I was very grateful for them to, to enrich that concept heavy um, kind of thought process and that concept heavy art in my, in my, uh, in my like mindset, because when I graduated and I went to make fashion and editorial work, I felt my work had more concept, my work had more depth, my work had more like rigor because of that. And I think a lot of the work that I end up seeing on your platform has that concept heavy stuff, has that clear concept, you know, it's, it's depth, it's, um, there's a lot of levels to the work. And um, it tells like a big story, you know? Mm -hmm. No, I mean, that's great to hear. You're, you're honestly making me blush here. Um, but I think that's definitely our aim as a team um, and what we're trying to highlight and put out there. Um, and I think that the reason we're able to do it is because we're we're doing it for the love of the medium. You know, we, we're trying to put something out that is beautiful and makes people think and allows people to express themselves. Um, we try kind of to shepherd, I think, things in the right way, but not get too involved. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it's, it's funny cause like with a lot of the interviews, 
that we've published or the essays, like we might have, you know, some hand in the way that they go. But for the most part, we kind of erase around the edges mm. and let the artist shine. It's it's really, it's not about us. It's about you. I like how you guys um, choose the photos that you put for the, the covers, though, on the, the site. And I like how you guys end up choosing the kind of subtitle that goes with the essays because it allows that little bit of, like, creative direction from you guys. And I, I always like what you guys come up with for the sub sections just because it's like a synopsis of the work but it's not from the artist it's from your perspective um and I've always really liked that about the site and I always like what you guys come up with even within the own my own essays that I've published with you guys I I always loved reading that little oh this is what they what they got out of the work and it's the quick glance you know it's funny because that's probably an order of magnitude more than most people realize it's kind of like watching a movie and you're trying to get into the writer's head about what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's nice to know that somebody's kind of enjoying it. So um, for sure, like I, I, you know, again, you're making me blush. Um, let's talk about you and stop talking about us. Um, so you originally weren't from NYC. You moved there. Uh, you were in Boston before. So I can kind of give a little backstory of my like upbringing and how I got to New York. But um. I, I started in um, Durham, Connecticut. So I grew up in, my parents are actually from West Haven, Connecticut. Um, so they grew up in West Haven. But as I got um, into like grade school, you know, West Haven wasn't the best area and we ended up moving out. So my parents moved me to a really nice neighborhood, um, which kind of was weird to me. I, I don't know how I would have been if I stayed in my neighborhood. I think about that a lot because um, I felt like my family was a little different than the neighborhood we ended up moving to. So we moved to a nice neighborhood um, and my town had 6,000 people. It was tiny. Um, it was just so small. My regional high school was 570 kids. Um, I think there's three working artists out of my high school, but I had one professor um, and she was awesome. I mean, a uh, art school teacher, my art school teacher, my senior year, she was like, yo, you really like this. And my photography professor was like, you really like this. But I started shooting like senior photos and weddings when I was 15, 16. I had uh, started working at a local pizza spot, saved up for a DSLR because I had been shooting from about nine my parents had gotten me digitals, you know, and they were just like, I loved shooting. I loved Harry Potter growing up. I loved um, painting. I was always very creative. I've, yes, I have the Deathly Hallows on my finger, literally. But I mean, Harry Potter, I have, I'm going to write a book to J.K. Rowling. I mean, I'm going to, um, if I ever blow, like get to the level that I want to get to, you know, like as a big photographer, I want to to mail her a really nice book of all of my work and be like, hey, with a letter and be like, hey, the color schemes and everything were very heavily inspired by you, just so you know. I just think, like, you know, as a kid, like, having Harry Potter and some of those really, like, I can create whatever world I want to create with my life mentality, like, really led me to where I was, you know, because growing up in a town with 6,000 people, three artists working out of that town, like, you know, in the real world now, like, I didn't think that I could achieve anything that I've even achieved to this point, like, never mind what I want to achieve in the future. But I was like, I can't do this. This is too far away. You know, I'd never even imagined shooting with a model. That was like a crazy thing to me. I remember being like, what? But I moved to Boston for art school. And um, I had one professor in college, uh, John Goodman, and he was an amazing fashion photographer in the 80s. And he was the best mentor for me. I mean, I, I have I have no words for how amazing this man was as a mentor. He saw that I loved fashion and he saw that I loved shooting people. And he was like, this is what you're supposed to do. Like, you need to push this. And he pushed me. This is good. This isn't good. This is a great shot. You should push this. And he kept. I kept shooting my friends and everything. And I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to shoot people. And um, I graduated and my parents were like, get a nine to five. They're super traditional. So I got a nine to five working as a photographer for Boston and I mean, uh, for a BMW in Boston. And I was um, doing a lot of promotional advertising car stuff for their website, you know, and I'd grown up around cars. My dad didn't see used car dealership. So it was, it was a fitting job. I had this crazy boss, Fredo. He's a great guy. He was a Harvard dropout that was then a photographer. And I just, I don't know, his mentality was like the greatest. I can't, he has so many stories and the way that he just, he was insane, but in the best way. And he just taught me so much. And then he was like, you need to move to New York. And everybody was like, you need to move to New York. And I started shooting with agencies in New York. I would come for the weekend. And my friend Michael was a model and he lived in Times Square. And I'll never forget 
one day I came to New York City and we were in Times Square on a Saturday. There was like, I, I, it's got to be the big, busiest corner on a Saturday in the, the United States. And I had 2,000 Instagram followers, nothing crazy, you know, like just like trying to get my work out in Boston. And I mean, you know, in grand retrospective, that is not a lot for somebody to, for this to happen. But some dude had come up to me and he was just like, hey, are you Cindy Claire? I love your work. Like I follow you on Instagram. And he like walked away. And I remember being like, I got to move to New York. And that was just the moment. I don't know why. And I think about it a lot. I think about that moment a lot. And I and that dude actually re reached out to me when I wrote about it once on my Instagram. He was like, I was the dude. And I was like, you're the reason I'm here. And it was just wild. But I moved here. I went to Korea for two weeks, South Korea, um, on photo stuff. My friend from Harvard had a startup because I had gone to school right next to Harvard. And I have a big network there in a one of my friends had a startup and uh, he brought me to Korea two weeks, paid for through photo. It was amazing. I've never done anything like that. So it was, it was incredible. And uh, I came back and three days later I moved to New York and I put down my first last insecurity. I'd quit my job and I had um, $300 in my bank account. And I said, you know what, we're going to make this work. And that was two years ago. And uh, I, uh, I went into every restaurant within 10 blocks of my Williamsburg apartment that I had sublet in. And I just was like, I need a job. And uh, I got one after two, two jobs fell through. And then I got another one. And uh, I just started working five days a week. And um, I started shooting all the time. And I would go to everything I could. I remember I went to a nylon mag party during fashion week when I first moved here. And my friends couldn't get in. They got there late. They couldn't get in. It was overflowed. And I was alone in this nylon mag party, and I just had knew nobody. And uh, I knew what Gabrielle Korn had looked like, the editor-in-chief of Nylon at the time. And I went up to her, and I was like, hey, I'm Sydney Claire. Like, I'm a photographer. I just moved to New York. Um, I would love to work for Nylon. And I got her email. It took six months for that email. Connect like, it, I saw her two more times. We, we had conversations, but, you know, it took six months, and then I had something in Nylon. And now every time she sees me, she knows who I am. So it's just little things like that, you know, that I, it took a long time for me to, to get where I am now, where the, to the point where I'm freelancing and I'm not working at a restaurant, but it was really worth the struggle. It made my work grow so much. My work from Boston to now, it's insane. I look at it, I mean, and I've been shooting my whole life and the last two years have been the most, the, cha the, the game changers, the two game, the game-changing years that have just like I've seen my work go from one thing to the other and you know it's really about understanding that and being like you know I have to move to the place that is going to be really hard for me to move to but I need to grow and I need to get a waitressing job and not get stuck in a nine to five not that and there's anything wrong for, with a nine to five but I had a nine to five and for me I, it just didn't work for me. And I'd been freelancing since I was 15. So I had already had this, like, you know, like I, I'd worked for myself and I didn't want to work for anybody else. And I just like knew that I had to move here and I, I made it happen. And I like, it was a lot of people wait. They're like, I need five grand in my account. I need to like do this. I need to do that. But I'm 24, you know, and I've been here two years and I really feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. Like I, I, I know that I'm going to look back when I'm 30, 35, and I'm going to be like, yeah, this is, this is what I was supposed to do with my life. Um, so I think that's like, you know, kind of my process. And then I'm going to stay here forever. Probably if I could ever, it, my dream, like my goal goal would, if I, I ever got really big as a photographer, I would have a, a apartment with a backdrop and stuff in the living room in LA and then one here, but New York would be my home base. I mean, my work fits in New York more. I've always felt that the, my work is New York. It's not LA. There's a difference and I can see it. LA is very bright. LA has got a lot of lighting, commercial. My work's very dark. It has deep tones. It's very New York, you know, it's New York or it's like Paris or Milan. Like it's very specific. And I think the more you understand that as an artist and the more that you understand where your work works and where you're going to succeed, and the more you put yourself in those places, the more you're gonna see the things that you want to happen come back to you and it's slow and it's painful, but it's like the most magical thing. You sit there and you cry cause you're like, I can't believe this opportunity came my way, you know? So I think that's really the name of the game with it. Um, so in that, I, I think that, you know, in our conversation before we started recording and now, you seem like the kind of person that really thinks a lot about what 
what's happened, what's transpired, those little moments where you could have made a left, but you made a right. And it, it has that butterfly effect for you where you, mm-hmm. you, you really end up kind of where you think you should be because you took those small opportunities. Um, in, in all of that thought, what, you know, you mentioned, if I succeed as an artist, if I succeed as a photographer, what does that look like? What's, what's your, you know, five, 10 year plan? I, I always talk about this and I I really feel so strongly about this idea of success, but I think that you have made it as a photographer. It's weird. I, there's a couple of photographers right now, you know, that are big photographers that I've watched come up and I've watched them come up around the age I am. And now they're like my age or a little older and they have that moment. And I know what that moment is. That moment is when you are contacted by whatever brand, whatever platform, whatever, you know, magazine, and they say, we want the Sydney Claire shot. We're going to call Sydney Claire. When your name becomes that entity and people relate your name to a style, relate your name to a type of photo, relate your name to that vision, and they call you for that specifically, that is when you've made it. You know, like, I, I don't know, Tyler Mitchell's exhibit this year really affected me in a lot of ways because I think, you know, Tyler Mitchell's a great example, right? Like, he graduated from Parsons. I think he had like 5K on Instagram. I had followed him at the time, you know, maybe more 15, something in the, not anything insane, you know, to the extent that he is now. He was the first black photographer to shoot um, the cover of Vogue, Beyonce, and that went viral. The act of that photo going viral skyrocketed his career. He now has a studio in the Lower East Side specifically for his work, but his exhibition was what got me. I remember, he's 24, I'm 24, you know? So I'm standing that exhibition and he had an exhibition at the ICP, the Institute of Contemporary Photography. It was beautiful. It was uh, next to a hip hop exhibition of all old hip hop and R&B and rap history. Uh, the, The like corresponding of the two, it was so beautiful. I can't really describe how it made me feel, but it made me feel so like, there was such an energy in the air but I remember reading his thing and seeing the exhibit and seeing a fashion photographer have that type of space in a museum, an art museum. His photos were put on pieces of cloth and hung like um, they were out to dry. You know what I mean? And they they blew a little and there was this like soundtrack. And I kept thinking, this is how I would love to have my work like this. You know, this is like a dream. Like this is, but there was this weird feeling. I'll never forget it between me and the energy in the room. And I knew that Tyler felt this energy when he walked in that room. You know, it's like that, that you've made it energy. And I don't, I don't know how to like put it into words exactly, but I felt it. Like when I was in that room, I was like, he's 24 and he has this. I can't even imagine walking in and being like a year ago you know, this is where I was. I mean, like, I know, like, Little Nas, the rapper, I saw something on Twitter. He had just released Old Town Road and he had 2,000 Instagram followers. That blows my mind, you know? Like, it absolutely blows my mind. And it's, it's, I'm not trying to, I don't like the idea of clout or Instagram fame or whatever, but using a platform to get your work out to the extent that you'd never be able to get it to, nothing can replace that, you know? Like, especially, I'm from that 6,000, you know, person town. And to me, I have more Instagram followers than people in my hometown. I only have like 9K, whatever, but, you know, for some people that really is not a lot. But that 9K to me, that means 9,000 people are looking at my work. That is a lot more people than my hometown. And, you know, even that to me blows my mind sometimes. So I can't, I can't even imagine having a platform. I think when you've made it, you know, you have that platform. You're able to put your work where you want to put your work. You're able to support yourself. You have, you know... People like Nordstrom, like Nordstrom had called Renel Madrano for a campaign. I remember seeing the campaign on Instagram and the campaign was so beautiful. I was like, Renel shot these. I know Renel shot these and they look like an editorial. And it's like, that's when you've made it. They're, they're asking her to shoot an editorial for, for, you know, a brand. And it's like, they're, they're e-commerce and like, it looks like Renel's work and that's, that's it. I, once you get there and once they're like, we want this, we want the Sydney Claire shot, we want the Renell Madrano shot, we want the Tyler Mitchell shot, we want the whoever shot, Lanny Leibowitz shot, all of those photographers before us, their name was the thing. When your name is the entity, no matter what art you do, that is success to me, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, the reason I ask is 
in all the conversations I've had over the last couple of weeks since starting the podcast, success is different for different people. Um, for some people, it's being able to feel fulfilled. For peace other of people, it, you know, peace of mind. For other people, it's, you know, they look at it more pragmatically. It's more about having work that comes in, putting out the work that they want to do. For you, it's probably a mix of it. You know, it's it's having that clout for the people that I think you want to have the clout for. It's not like, oh, I want everyone to adore me. It's more about earning street cred and respect and being able to have an art artistic integrity, which, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's what everyone should strive for, but yeah. you know, I, I'm one person, so. I think it's also, to me, it's really important to do it the right way, you know, like that slow climb, that slow climb of your work where you have real people that are really fans of your work. Fans are so important in, in anything. Those are the people that are really going to, your fans are what gets you to the point that you're going to be. So, you know, just making sure that like you're making good work down to like little things. Like for me, I like to see, I want to see more diversity in fashion and that's always been something I've wanted to see. So if I have the opportunity to cast something, I do it on the back scenes. I say let me make sure that the whole team is black if there's a black model because they're they're going to know how to do hair and makeup better than other people and it's going to make it feel more comfortable on set, you know what I mean? But there's a lot we can do in the back that maybe not necessarily we have to broadcast all over social media and be like, "Oh, this is the team is all black," but just do it on your own. You have the ability as an artist to do stuff, you know, and like really make a difference. So you should be actively doing those things while you're in this process because those things come back for you in 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 good things you know like if you don't do things well you're going to see it when you peak it's going to come back to you you know versus if you're doing things that you actually care about and you're trying to make your industry better it's going to be you're going to have that longevity and you're going to have like the ability to like look at your work and be like I'm actually making an impact as well instead of just like putting my work out and being like look at me you know mm-hmm no, I mean, it's it's interesting because I think, you know, Lou, the editor-in-chief, and I um, of Photographic Journal have always tried to, you know, as you stated earlier, show emerging artists, show people, and, and show diversity, right? And it's always kind of, I think, on our mind. And maybe it's because we got a little more color in us than other people, but there's so much amazing work that doesn't get highlighted and I think that with Instagram being such a big platform for, for photography right now, you tend to see like the same kind of stuff get popular. Instagram, and it's not, I have such a battle with it because it's not, the work that works on Instagram is not the work I appreciate. And unfortunately, that's how it is, you know? And even though I love Rennell Madrano and Tyler Mitchell and all these big photographers that every photographer knows, I've said those names to my friends and they're like, hell, you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know. And they're like, oh, look at um, this photographer. And it's like some dude that uses fairy lights. And I'm like, okay, well, this is where we're at. But, you know, it's just like, it doesn't work. There's things that work on the internet and there's things that, and you see it, you see it physically. There's things that I post that I see that get more love or more attention than other things because of certain things. Cause a girl's really pretty or like, like one of my friends has beautiful features and she looks like Angelina Jolie. And I posted the photos of her and I was like, these are going to blow up and all the dudes I know are going to like these. And it's exactly what happened. And I hate to be that person, but it's like certain stuff works and people tend to fall into what works on the internet. They're like, this is what works. This is what I'm going to stick to because it works. And they're not, they don't stick to themselves. They don't stick to that, their true selves in art. And that's when you're not making art for yourself. You're making art for the internet. And that's like a whole, you know, that's a whole generational problem, honestly. So it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, I think that I've lightly touched on it with a couple other photographers during this podcast series, but oh, I mean, you know, in my head, if you get a really pretty girl and you take a really pretty photo, how much of that is you taking a good photo and how much of that is you just having an attractive model? It, the, the barrier, it, like the balance, and there's, it's, it's one of those things because you don't want to belittle people's work, right? Like, I don't want to say that somebody's not a good photographer just because right. they happen and to you pick know, a bunch every, of really attractive trying, people. You know, right. it's like, I, I, I'm not going to hate on anybody ever for picking up a camera. No. I started and my stuff was 
edited in Pink Monkey when I was 12. You know what I mean? So I can't even talk shit. Exactly. So I can't even talk shit. So it's, but it's like at the same time, it's like these photographers are gaining so much traction from that stuff that they're getting big heads and they're like, we are the shit. And then it's also these photographers are taking on work and they're quoting these companies $200 for these huge gigs. And then we're trying to quote a company six grand and they're like, you're out of your fucking mind. And that's really where it comes down to an issue in the art world, right? We're starting to have no credibility in our work. We're starting to have no, um, you know, anybody can make anything, whatever, whatever. And as an artist, some people are, are, they're giving up, you know, you, you have the opportunity to kind of work through it and that's on you. But mm-hmm. I see why a lot of artists are like, fuck this. I don't even want to post on Instagram anymore. I don't even care it, about this. It's it's hard because the brands that want to put out beautiful things, they're, they're far and few between, right? There's, I think, people that look at social platforms as ways to harvest really raw talent and kind of take advantage of it. You, you might get yeah. an 18-year-old that doesn't know their worth, that's putting out amazing content and we'll do something for you for 500 bucks that should cost six grand. Exactly. And that's what it comes, it, it's just like, it really comes down to that. It's the, I don't care about, inst- there are goods and there are bads. Like I said, all those photographers we were talking about earlier, they have 500K on Instagram now. I cannot even argue and say that that does not help them in some way. It does help them. And you know, once I have a big following, if I get to that point, I uh, I love to thrift clothes. I'm a big vintage like um, streetwear thrifter, and I want to. Once I get to that point, I'm going to use the platform to sell my clothes because I'll have the platform. There's little things like that where it's like you actually need the platform, and I can't even argue that you can. And you know, people have seen my work in Iceland and this and that, and I I'm, I'm lucky for Instagram for that. But it does invalidate a lot of cre- creative work, and it does bring the price down a lot of, on a lot of creative work. And for people that are freelancing and we're living off of this stuff, we can't do a campaign for five hundred dollars. That is not in our budget. That is not something we can do. And we've we've worked and we've earned our place to to be able to charge these numbers. And then those numbers are being invalidated by the internet. And I think that's where the struggle really comes to play with with Instagram. You know? Yeah, it's it's interesting that we were talking about success for you. And it feels like, like, in you know, as this conversation has gone on, it feels like success is reaching that kind of like zeitgeist in the more, in a certain crowd um, for you while still remaining true to yourself and hitting kind of like that mass populace where they suddenly know who Sydney Claire is, but you haven't compromised. You know, it's not exactly. that you sold out and started shooting you know what whatever is popular at the time i think that's part of the problem is people shoot what's popular or they have a certain style in mind that they know kind of works and it becomes formulaic exactly you can't you can't do it for other people and everybody gets stuck in it i've i definitely sat and been like i haven't posted on instagram in three days four days and i need to post something and i mean like we all feel that like need to like put stuff out but at the end of the day you should be putting the right work out you should be putting the work that's going to get you the right things you know use the platform in the way that you should like i'm very particular about i actually like i archive a lot of my selfies and that's a weird thing to a lot of people but i don't think it fits my brand and I think this is something I'm going to have to grapple with throughout my life because I dress in streetwear. I'm very like edgy and I I don't speak. I think the art world is going to have to get used to me a little bit because it's very snobby and it's very like, you know, like, but I'm not going to compromise the way that I am. I've had a lot of people tell me I should change the way I am. I should change the way I speak. I should change the way I dress, whatever, whatever. But at the end of the day, that's compromising. Right. And even if it's going to take me longer and maybe less people are going to like me initially at the end of the day, other artists will be inspired to be themselves when they see if I ever get to the point of success that I'm succeeding, but I've kept it the way that I, you know, was for the whole time. I think a lot of people tend to like mold themselves for the internet and, you know, like try to become this like influencer, social media, whatever, whatever. And they lose track of what they're really putting out and why they're really putting it out. You know, you're not trying to please the masses. You're not trying to like you know, you're just, you're just trying to get your work out. And if you use it as a business platform, 
like I unfollowed everybody from high school, everybody from whatever, all these random people, not in a mean way, just in the way that honestly, the only thing I see on my feed is photography. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, well, especially my generation, because I'm 24, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's like, you're, you're, um, you know, I, I feel like so pressured to look this way or this way because of girls on in- Instagram, all these Instagram, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about because I, I just see art. You, you can control your platforms. Even though you think you can't control them, you can control them to an extent. You can control what you see. You can control how you use it. And if, if you know how to use it, it can be only beneficial and not negative in any way. But it's just how you really look at it and how your mindset is when you're using it. It's funny. I had a note in in my here talking about that it seemed like you were actually taking more selfies now that we're in quarantine. Yeah, I was like, you know, I might as well. I have such a debate though. It's really hard. I'm I and I I I'm guilty of falling sometimes into that. Like I'm 24 and I want people to know that I'm 24 and I'm like, not like some old, like, not that it's anything wrong, but like, I'm not some grub sitting behind the, you know, like I, I'm like, I want to engage in this too. But then it's like, I don't because I have brands looking at me that I don't want seeing that stuff. So I tend to delete a lot of stuff and you know, I wish that I didn't even feel like the need to post it, but that's just, you have to kind of work through things and that's something I want to work on. I'm like, okay, I don't want to do that. But I think that the FaceTime shoots have actually made me want to photograph myself a little bit more sometimes with the phone. Cause I'm like, okay, let, I know how to photograph myself better with the phone. So it looks less like a selfie and it looks more like I put my color schemes and I put like, you know, they're lit very nicely and stuff like that, where I can at least feel like they're, they're blending in with my work and they're not stand out. I don't like when stuff stands out on my feed and the way that it looks like it was shot in an iPhone or it was unprofessional. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's such a thing. A lot of the shots, like when I went back through before quarantine, a lot of them are really you like doing outfit checks. Like it's like, oh, check out this rad like fit that I have. The newer stuff, the stuff that's more recent is more of an exploration of self, me in the space, moodier lighting, um, there's more shadow. There's more, it's just, it's more artistic shot. So I I completely agree with you that if you're going to do the selfies, make it worth it. I mean, I'm just make it fit your feed. That sounds ridiculous, but it's like, you gotta, you gotta keep an air of just like the same type of any really good artist, everything down to the way that they photograph themselves is in that way. Sasha Samsonova is a great example. She always has these beautiful, sexy photos of her with like her body all, and her work is so beautiful and sexy. The way she photographs women is exactly the way she photographs herself. It's like, it's like these like very painterly, like she's just very good with light and the way that she works. And Sasha's one of my, I, I mean, I, my tattoo on my finger is inspired by her, this one, because she, um, she's a big influence for me anyways. She may, might not be my favorite photographer anymore, but she was the first photographer me, for me to see that had that clear style and stuck out on Instagram, stuck out on everything. I remember I started following her. She had 4,000 Instagram followers. She had just moved to LA. She's 500K now. She shot everybody, you know? And like, I've watched her blow up over four years, but five years, but I knew she would. I remember seeing her work and being like, she has the style. And I can always tell, I can always tell. I see the photographer and I'm like, you have it. And it's, it's that. And even down to the pictures of themselves, it's the same thing. It's like that style. They are the embodiment of their work. And I think that's where photographing yourself as an artist, it really has to embody your work and like your vision still. I mean, it's interesting because I, I've followed artists before where there's a certain persona and there's a certain filter of everything that they put up. And then if you really research somebody, you find like a personal account or you follow somebody that, you know, knows them in real life. And then you see this goony photo of somebody that has only you've only ever seen like this like curated feed. Yeah. And it totally shatters like your impression of them. You got to keep it real on the Internet. You got to keep it real. I mean, like even down to like my stories, people have been like, you talk some, I've gone on a few rants. I try not to do it, but occasionally something I'll be like, I want to talk about this. And I tend to talk on my Instagram story and stuff. And a lot of people are like, 
somebody said to me once, oh, I look up to you because you like talk on your Instagram story and you're not scared of like looking weird. And I'm like, is that something people think about? Because like you're not comfortable with yourself enough to the point where you can't, you should always feel like you can portray like the most real version of yourself, you know? And it's like, I don't know. I feel like the internet, it really starts to, to get away from that. And it really starts to be this curated version of this person. And I like... I follow the artists I follow and everything. I like that they're real and I still feel like they're like, I remember Cardi B went on live once. This is the stupidest thing ever, but it's like valid. I, I, I just, I remember she went on live and I went to the live and I was watching Cardi B and I was like, you know what I love about Cardi B? She's still the same ratchet Bronx girl from from the Bronx. Like, she does not change the way she speaks, the way she talks. I felt like I was hanging out with my friend in the room and she was talking to me. You know what I mean? And I love that about her. She is kept authentic through the fame, through everything. She is still the same person that she is. You can talk as much shit about her music as you want. I don't care if you love it. I don't care if you hate it. She is still the same person she was when she when she wasn't famous. And I, 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 ha I, I have to appreciate it. I have to give them... Cause that's, that's like, that's a great attribute to, to carry through fame, you know, and through whatever kind of traction your you and your work gain. And I feel like that's, that's really a personality type. I mean, look, Cardi B's, that's real fame. I know people that, you know, get 200,000 followers on Instagram and think they they're think the shit. they're right. the shit and that they're amazing and all this stuff. And all they talk about is all the opportunities they get and this and that. And it's like. Okay, that's that's great. I mean, good for you. But we but all do it, right? We all do it sometimes. You have to. I've looked at you social have to sell media yourself. before. You you. But I've tried to be conscious. Sometimes I want to put something out, right? And I'm like, oh, I want to tell everybody about this thing. But then I'm like, wait a minute, nobody gives two shits, and I should stop doing this. You know what I mean? Like you have to stop yourself from doing it because social media has made us want to all be like, look at me, look at what I am doing, look at what I am succeeding in. And that's not the real world. Like, I, I remember putting a little rant about art school recently on my story about how it's for privileged kids and a few other things. And somebody was like, you shouldn't speak negatively. And I'm like, I'm really just trying to shed light on something I feel this is how I had the experience of. And for that one person that said the negative thing, I had 20 people message me and be like, I felt really similarly in art school. Like, this is a problem. So it's like you have to, like, I don't know. You have to pick and choose your battles, but there are things like that you should be real about no matter what people say or what people feel, you know? So personally, my alma mater is a little weird. I have no problem with, um, you know, um, you know, there's barely any kids doing it, whatever. But I don't like when schools pick favorites because of like that, that elitist system that they have. And there's just like that elitist community and... I feel that my school, which is fine, they don't have to, but they don't really acknowledge my work or what I've done in the last few years after graduating. I graduated in 2017. So, you know, I'm just like, that's fine, but that's your loss because I would love to talk to the kids at school and I would love to talk to them about being a fashion photographer, but I don't think some art schools are ready for that conversation. They're not ready to have a fashion photographer come talk and be like, this is how you make it in fashion and this is how you make a lot of money because it goes against their values and like the, the way that they think about art. And I remember a professor in school specifically telling me, oh, you'll be fine. You're going to make a lot of money with fashion. And it, that's not the truth at all. It takes a long time to make money. And there are, I shot for the Council of Fashion Design of America, you know, and that was a huge gig. Sandy Lang, I shot for them, you know, big feature. I got paid nothing, barely, barely anything for that gig. I took it. I, no complaints. If they told me zero dollars, I was still going to take that, that, campaign because of where my work was because of where everything but but people tend to just not think about those things they're like oh this person's getting all this money for this when in reality we're actually not getting paid a lot until we're at that level where our name is the entity like I was talking about earlier and we have to work up to that point and we have to struggle a lot along the way so it's like you earn your spot just as much as those artists that earn their gallery spots do you know it's the same it's the same concept it's that work up and it, there's no laziness about being a fashion photographer. There's no laziness about being a portrait and fashion photographer. If you want to actually succeed in that, it's going to be one of the hardest things that you'll ever do, but it's, it's worth it, you know? So let's talk about your work with 
you're primarily shooting portraits and fashion. Most of your work, when I went through it, they're female. Is there is there something where you're more attracted to shooting with women than men, or is it like a vibe thing? Is it what, what attracts you to shooting with somebody? Honestly, you know, I do want to shoot more men. That's always something I think about. But women and me work really well together because I feel a lot of women have told me and. I, oh, it's so nice to shoot with you. I always shoot with men and they make me feel so uncomfortable, blah, 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 blah. So what it comes down to is like, women feel very comfortable around me shooting because they're not feeling like they're being subjected to like this, like, you know, just creepy. There's a, there's a creepy thing that goes on on Instagram that everybody knows about with photographers. But I, I like that women feel very comfortable around me. Um, I feel like I'm able to get such beautiful portraits and just such natural portraits of women because we have that moment where we really connect. Um, I don't know. I, um, I've always worked around a lot of women. Um, just a lot of women have been like big. Um, and I'm also personally a very loud outspoken woman. I love to shoot with loud, outspoken women. We're very, like, we're far and few in between. And, you know, I like knowing that I'm on the same page with a, a woman that we're not, we're not thinking we're, like, we have to be quiet or anything less. You know, it's just, like, there's that element of power, sh sh powerful woman to powerful woman, where you're like, okay, we're both on the same page here. You know, we both have that respect for ourselves in the way that, we don't take any shit. And there's something beautiful about that. I don't know. I just, some of my favorite photos, you know, are just me and another girl that I know that I'm like, this, she's that bitch. And we're just, we have that moment and you look at the photo and you're like, she's power in this, but it's because we're both ex like, you know, putting that power energy into each other when we're shooting. No, I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that, you know, one of the, the other questions I had for you was, you know, in terms of, you know, you moved from Boston to New York City. What does your like social support network look like? Is it is it mainly artists? Is it people that you've you've made connections with? It's really interesting. I have such a really. So I went to school in Boston at Leslie, but the art kids kind of didn't like me because I played sports and uh, they just were like, you know, I was, I was on the track team, cross country team, my senior year as captain, I took it pretty seriously. So, um, and regardless, this is what I, personally, artists should not be against sports. They work in the same way that, that art does. You work really hard at it all the time, every single day, you're gonna get really freaking good at it. And that's how, you know, the basis of anything works. So I did sports, kids weren't, too fond of me, whatever. I ended up having a really close friend at, group at Harvard. My friend groups at Har Harvard was amazing. They were some of the most amazing people I've ever met. A lot of them were first generation. Um, they had all like really worked their asses off to get where they were. Um, I think that they gave me a really great uh, perspective change when I came to school. I had never really met people that had worked that hard in their lives. I mean, like my friend Fernando's from East LA. His family is all like his parents are Mexican immigrants, you know, and he he went to Harvard on a full scholarship. That's insane. The generational trauma and the generational things he went through to get to that point. I just was like, you know, I always had a lot of respect for my friends. But when I graduated, my Harvard friends ended up all moving to New York, you know, because they all got jobs here. So when I moved here, I was lucky enough to have a network of friends that went there. And it's weird because you would think that they wouldn't help you in the art world. But my friends have called me for some of my like big publications. You know, my friend Nadia, she's been published in like the Huffington Post, what a blah blah blah. My friend um, Skyler, he's been published on NBC. My photo was in there. You know, it's just like little things like that where they they've really hooked me up in ways. I went to Korea for free because of Zena, my friend that had that uh, startup, and um, they made me think about photo from a business perspective. They all they are all very business minded. They all are in banking. They're all in finance. Um, and they kind of kept me level-headed in the way that, you know, my friends were in business and I heard a lot about business from them and I watched them all study business and economics. And I had a broad understanding of the economy and how everything worked when I graduated instead of being in art world in la-la land, you know. And I mean, like, Leslie was – my school was also off of a normal university, so I was able to take classes. I took marketing. I took advertising. I made sure to take advantage of things that a lot of the art kids didn't take advantage of because they were like, I am too good for this, when in reality, you're going to need that when you graduate to make money. So um, I had a big network of kids from Harvard, and then um, 
I'm very social. I just like knew a bunch of people that moved here from Boston, Connecticut, whatever, and I'm reconnected with them. And then uh, I just put myself in a lot of situations to make friends. I just like went to art stuff. I like I'm I'm very like, you know, restaurants, anybody, you know, I made friends at a lot of restaurants I worked at. Um, and I'm grateful. I have some great people in my life. But uh, I'm not scared of being alone. Like when I moved here, I left my my ex at the time. We had a perfect relationship and it was really hard for me to move here because I left my relationship in Boston. Um, and but to me, it's more important to like, you know, my career. This is when I'm going to make it if I make it. And, you know, you got to put everything above that. And you can always come back to things. There are always going to be things that you can that are going to be there when you're done. But you got to put that career first, you know, and you got to move to the right place. And even if it means sacrificing your friends, you'll make new ones, you know, and that's how it, and, and then you'll you'll make new ones and they're great. And then you stay in contact with your old friends. And but you can't you can't like uh, you can't get comfortable and just be like, I'm not going to move because I don't know anybody. It's a bad way to think. As someone that's older than you by decade and a half, um, you can't have regrets. Like you never mm-hmm. want to get to a point in your life where you're like, oh, wow, I should have done this. And uh, I, 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 don't, I don't really think I do, which is good. But I definitely made decisions that maybe somebody else wouldn't have made. It's the risk factor. You have to, you have to risk you gotta, and it's like, I don't know. I I've told a lot of people to just move, just do this. Don't don't wait till you have savings. Don't wait till you have this, that, that. Because I've watched too many of my friends. You know, I have a friend in Boston, and I've watched him fall into a core of a job and never leave. And he's a great artist, but he doesn't do any work anymore. You know, and it's sad. And you're like, I I wish you could pull yourself up, but at the end of the day, it's your decision, and it's how uncomfortable you want to make yourself before you're comfortable. And when I moved to New York, I had a dollar in my bank account after I paid rent many a time, like a dollar, like freaking out the next day. Oh my God, how am I going to do this? Um, you know, I did a ton of jobs I did not want to do. I did everything. I mean, but at the end of the day, you got to do what you got to do. And I'm lucky enough to be from a family that we, you know, I, I, we don't have tons of money and my dad grew up very rough and he instilled a certain attitude in me. But a lot of people, they just don't take risks because they've been babied and they just don't want to, they don't want to, you know, and I don't mean to say it in a bad way, but you got to just get yourself out the door. You can't, you can't depend on people your whole life, other people. You got to just be like, okay, this is on me. I'm going to handle this. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But if it works out, I'm going to be the happiest person in the world. You know, I can't even imagine succeeding in what I do. I would wake up every day and I would cry. I still do that sometimes because I'm in New York and I'm, making work and I've had big publications contact me and like stuff like that. And even those small like goals to me are huge and I cry and I'm like, this is, this is what I wanted. And even see that start to happen. It makes me realize why I sacrificed the things I did, you know? Yeah. And I I think that the drivers for that, it's not, it's not that you came from, you know, more blue collar and somebody else is white collar and they're not going to try as hard because there's other people that came from white collar and their that parents try so expect, hard. Right. they try so hard because their parents expect something of them. You know, maybe they come from a family of doctors and they want to be a lawyer and to them, they're the black sheep. You know, everything's relative, basically, like everyone has their own path. You really can't take anything away from somebody. There are people that are completely fulfilled doing more corporate jobs. You know, I've, I personally have never been to me, that's been like stroke of death, right? Like the idea of wearing a white shirt and a tie and going into a nine to five every day that was like really traditional was something I never wanted from like a really young age. I was never attracted to it. I remember being like five years old and looking at people and being like, I don't want to do that. But the and, thing is the, you, you were thinking that way. A lot of people, but they don't even think that way. And that's that's what really comes down to it. We're lucky enough to be able to think in the way that we do beyond our work. My little sister, um, she just graduated. She's graduating, you know, like college. She doesn't have a real graduation, but she's graduating. And um, she uh, doesn't know what she wants to do. And I guess I took for granted wanting knowing what I wanted to do from nine years old until I saw my sister sitting there crying and I heard her on the phone with my parents one day and she didn't think I was listening and she said I had called them about a big gig I had gotten with a huge company that 
big name and everything and my sister I don't know what I'm gonna do you know what I mean and I took it I took I, I took myself out of the moment and I said some people aren't even lucky enough to know what they that they have like whatever they don't even have an, a platform like that to like express themselves you know we're lucky to be creators and we're lucky to be able to like project our voices in a way other than just talking or like writing something down we're able to make something that makes people feel things we're very blessed like to have that and that's why I think that artists should always work as hard as they can and get to where they need to be because you know you're blessed to have the ability to think even to the extent that we think you know some people wake up every day they go into work they, br they brush their teeth they wake up they eat breakfast they go into their nine to five they get out at five they come home their significant other or them makes dinner they go to bed like they watch something new. that's their day every single day and every day I get to meet somebody else I get to have a different conversation with somebody you know I get scout people on the train I get to go to different areas in New York City even that I'm lucky to be able to do yeah and I think with with the current situation with quarantine I know that I feel much more robotic because I'm you know stuck within four walls and it's it's not a complaint like i'm i'm happy that i can still work and still pursue passions on the side you know with the photographic journal and do this podcast and and be working on print jobs and, and other things that are, are are still really interesting because not everyone has that but at the end of the day my day is waking up making breakfast i work a bit play with my kid work a bit play with my kid work and then it's like we watch an hour of tv and i go to bed and I think that when we come out the other side of this, you know, you had mentioned before we started recording that I think a lot of the way that we work together and what we value collectively is going to shift because there's, it's the things that I value aren't the big ticket items. The things that I've valued and that I've missed aren't, you know, no, it's going trips to, the to Cancun. It's going to the it's movies. Or, going to the movies. It's or going just to like the bodega, the like down the street, literally. and getting a, a croqueta and like a, a, a coffee, and like chilling and talking to some like old Cuban guy in Miami. Because like that to me is awesome, and it's like it makes me feel like I'm somewhere that I want to be. I uh, think that this virus pandemic has just made. I think everybody's going to come out a lot more appreciative of little things. I think we all forget to slow down. I think that social media, everything makes us think that we have to get the next thing, the next big thing, the next big thing, the next thing, you know, we're going to go to the next place, whatever, the next big trick, the bigger trip, the bigger trip, the bigger house, the bigger car, the nicer car. But we forget to just take advantage, like take a minute and be like, I'm, I'm thankful for these small things in my life that, uh, that I get to do. Um, and I think that hopefully everybody will come out of this somewhat you know, more appreciative of a person. I know in New York and a lot of the cities, I'm sure feel the same. I'm appreciative of the slowdown. I feel like I just kind of run, 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 run around all day and I don't take a minute to sit back and think about anything. And then it's the next thing, you know, what can I get after this thing? Or I get a big gig, what's after that, you know? And I don't ever sit and be like, wow, I've come this far from where I was. And, you know, I think this has given us time to really think about that and think about our progress and think about our progression and where we want to be after this and how we want to set ourselves up after this. Um, so I think, if anything, it's been a blessing in, in a weird way. So with the precedent set that you not necessarily overthink things, but definitely think through them, mm -hmm. what are your plans? What are your what are the things you want to achieve after being quarantined? So I had a, I had a big gig come through. I can't really talk about it too much right now, but, um, I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, I want to like, um, I want to invest a bunch of money into my space. That's like the next thing I'm going to do. Um, my lease is up in July. I was like, let me, um, let me just take a bunch of money and put it into a one bedroom and I want a studio in my living room and I just want a backdrop in my living room. I'm going to get a 2010, 2011, big de desktop Mac, you know, with the big screen. I, the older ones work really well, which is convenient because they're not too expensive. A hard drive that goes in the ground, a desk area. And I want to be able to make work in my apartment. I want to have a space to not even make work in, even work, edit, stuff like that in, to come outside and be like, this is where I'm working today. I think separating my workspace and my bedroom is going to be a big um, thing for me. And I think um, having a, a seamless with like some nice lighting will be really good for me. So I'm going to just take a bunch of money and put a bunch of money down on a place. I think with the virus and everything, 
my biggest worry is living. So I want to take all the money that I, I can get and just put it towards living so that I'm squared away so that I can make without feeling the pressure of a living situation. But when we're out of this, I want to just like the FaceTime shoots, everything has made me think a lot more about my work. And I think that I'm going to come out of the stronger of a photographer because the FaceTime shoots have made me more directive. They've made me think a lot more about the frame. It's a small frame. I have to use them in a lot of ways. Um, I think it's made me um, just like a better photographer. And I think that, I don't know, I'm going to just like, I have a lot of goals for my work and everything. And I just really want to like come out of it and, and be set up in that apartment and have that space. And it's such a weird thing. But for me, space makes a huge difference. You know, right now I have a room in an apartment with two roommates and we have a living room, but it's shared. And, you know, I can't really like, I want to be able to spread out on my floor, like, and just have like a workspace. And in New York, it's really expensive, but I'm willing to take on that commitment because I feel that it's going to be beneficial for me in, in a financial way and just in a, in a work way, you know, so. But I mean, you're also looking at, if you're looking at a space that you sleep in, you can justify one price. If you're looking at a space where you are live working, where you can invite someone over and set it up to optimally create and explore and do things that potentially are, are making you money it's mm -hmm. it's 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 an investment in yourself it's it's a different way of of looking at it i have um somebody that i'm chatting with hopefully next week that's local that i know she moved to you know a big apartment with a lot of light and she set it up exactly what you're saying it, she has probably like four or five rolls that are set up on a seamless big yep. ass window a computer to the side and she's able to create a bunch of you know social media content on her own where she doesn't have to leave she can work with brands and it's not that she has to find a space she has the space i mean i would just cry i would cry every day if i had that honestly of happiness it's just like i've always wanted my own workspace it's always been something and you know it's just like I've lived with people since I was 18 in apartments and stuff, you know, 19, whatever, in college, everything. I've lived in, in apartments with people, and I've just always never had a space to work in. And for me, that's just a big thing, and I'm, I'm willing to invest the money because I feel that it's going to return me the money in, and more. It's going to return me the money, and it's also going to return me a peace of mind that I've never had. And, you know, I have a dog. I'm kind of like a... I'm 24, but I'm awful. I kind of don't drink at all, and I don't go out, and I work really hard, and having my own space. I'm really past that point where I want to like hang out and like go out with my roommates and get drunk and come back. Like I don't, I don't have any want for that. And I feel it's been very hard for me to live with people my age because of that. And I just really want my own space because I feel like, I feel like a 40 year old sometimes. I just want like space, like my dog, you know, like a workspace, like that's it. It's all set. Just like, you know, like middle of life situation because that's what I want and that's what's going to make me happy, you know? So it's like. It's interesting because I think that, look, we've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast and I know I talk about it with Lou all the time. There's your, there's different points in your career where you really work on craft at certain points, right? And I think that as you get older, you have to work on craft in order to stay sharp and in order to, to kind of make sure that your your mind's going. Like I've, look, I, I do mainly design, right? Like I'm a photographer for fun on the side, but my main job and what I do is design work. And I've seen eight different programs come and go for what I do. At the end of the day, they all do the same shit. Like me exactly. flowing into the, it, because I understand what design is and how to apply it to, whatever, you know, UI job or, or UX job that I'm doing, the, the, the tool stops mattering. So I always talk about this with the tool. It's funny that you bring that up because I, I hate when people ask me what I shoot with. Um, I, I don't Sydney, think it do matters. It, it, I really don't think it matters. No. I think that shooting comes down to the artist and their vision and how they can make something. I shoot, to be honest with you, I've shot a lot of my stuff on a four megapixel digital that I got when I was 10 years old. I love that camera. You know why? I can just pull it out anywhere. It's really silent and it's just like quick and I, it's manual, but like 
there's something magical about it. It's just like, I don't know how to describe to people that you don't need the top gear. You don't need the newest programs. Like I still edit bridge to Photoshop. That's ridiculous. I, I mean, come Holy on. Shit, but I like, forgot about that program. But I, that's how I learned. I learned when I was 15, 14 right. doing bridge to Photoshop and to get, and it takes me no time. I'm the quickest person. It's ridiculous how fast I am from bridge to Photoshop. But it's like when you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're, those, they're going to update things all the time. That's why people say, oh, the iPhone 11 has such a good camera. Are you threatened? I'm like, no, because I'm still going to take that iPhone 11 camera and make my work when somebody else is going to take it and make an iPhone 11 picture. So it's like, there's no difference. Uh, imagine somebody focusing, like if you're looking at Michelangelo's work and someone's focused on what kind of paint crayon, <laughs> no, actually, yeah, actually the paint, I understand more because there wasn't a store that you could go and buy it. So yeah. like those guys were formulating their own paint. Imagine if you were making your own emulsions for film, like that's worth talking about. Like, that's cool. Like that would be an interesting part of your process. Right. But, you know, worrying about the way that they put a brush together handmade or the angle that he sharpened her, his like crayon in order to make sketches, it's the wrong conversation. I mean, people get caught up and I think that, that that comes back to even real world situations. You know, like I hear people all the time, oh, I'll make that type of work when I get the right camera. I'll make that type of work when I get the right lens, when I get the right this, when I get, and they put everything off because they're like, it's not ever going to be the right work. But it's like, you need to start making and you need to start putting your stuff out anyways, because you're going to just be able to work through it. Like, I think people just tend to be like, it has to be the nicest this has no it doesn't you're making excuses make make the damn work that's what it really comes to. people make excuses they're like well it's not right it's not this i don't have this you gotta just make it like i don't want to hear the excuses anymore you know and it's just i've heard it time and time again like i i used to shoot with again my four megapixel camera when i was little like and i didn't complain then like you shouldn't be complaining if you have like a decent dslr and you're, you're like you can make anything with that i promise you you know I, i've like, seen people make amazing work with t2 t2i's from like 10 right, years ago and i've right. seen people make absolute shit work with a thirty thousand dollar megapixel you know medium format digital camera so it it's it's what you're saying it's not the tool look if you vibe with a certain tool and that tool lets you express yourself in a better way exactly i get, I, I get that you know, I, I think that there's a lot of photographers that I know and that I'm personally friends with that will go after looking for that tool that they think expresses them or that they connect with. They romanticize the tool itself and like mm -hmm. the build of it. I think that there's where you're 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 looking at, at how something feels in your hand and how beautiful it is. You know, it's it's saying that you can't write a good book with a big pen. You have to have, you know, a, a Mont Blanc and like maybe that's true. Maybe the Mont Blanc inspires you to write better, but at the end of the day, it's, it's your brain that's coming up with the words. It's not your the brain. Pen. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, there's always going to be something you like to shoot with something you like to work with, whatever. And I get that. Like, you know, I, in school, I tested out a bunch of cameras, the Mark three, the Canon Mark three. Mm -hmm. I like the way that the shutter is. I ended up getting that camera after school just because I like the way the shutter sounds. I like the way the colors are on it. There's just something about the camera that works for me. Right. And I'm not going to argue that. I love that camera. I got it for a reason. The Mark IV had actually come out when I got my camera. I was like, I want the Mark III because I like my Mark III. And, you know, I you'll find things that you like to work with. But, again, you can't let it limit you. Like, I think that goes back to the FaceTime shoots even, just bringing it all back to the FaceTime shoots because a lot of people aren't making work right now. They're sitting around and they're like, I, I, I'm not making work. I can't shoot on a digital camera. All these FaceTime shoots suck. I keep seeing them and they don't look professional, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's then make a, find a way to make it work. Like you need to, like I cleared off my 43,000 photos on my camera roll and put them onto my computer and, and I have zero photos in my camera roll. So I can use the entire phone as a camera via FaceTime screenshot. Like I said, okay, this is my camera now. Like you got to just work with the times. You got to just make it work. And, you know what, sometimes it isn't going to be exactly what you want, but you still got to make the work and you still got to try because I wasn't, you know, making any money. And I was like, this is putting food on my table right now. So it's really about the battles you want to choose and how you want to, how you want to do it. But you got to be innovative and you got to make work, work with what you have and with the situations at hand, you know? So there's, as a last question, how about this? This is a doozy. Um, your bio it says there's there's one thing that kind of stuck out to me and it says 
that you're constantly looking for ways to make work that's not only innovative, but challenges and deconstructs social norms. So how do you approach that? What does that mean to you? I feel that we have become accustomed to certain things through fashion, especially the fashion world needs a lot of work. And I'm not saying just on the photography end and what's actually produced. I mean, the back of fashion. I mean, that elitist attitude that like runs rampant in like fashion and everything. I think that, you know, there's like things you think are normal because you're just accustomed to thinking they're normal your whole life, you know, but they're actually not normal. And like, there's, it's not, there's no normalcy. Like you need to like, things need to be out of the box. You need to make things that are, that are, you know, challenging things because art is supposed to have a conversation. I don't want a pretty picture, just a pretty picture. There needs to be depth to that picture always. And I think that whether you're doing it like really subtly or it's really heavy, there's always ways to incorporate depth into your work. There's always ways to have a conversation beyond what you think is just like, I think that Helen's photos of her in Grand Central Station via FaceTime were a great example of that. You could look at those photos and just be like, these are just FaceTime photos of Grand Central. Or you could look at those photos and be like, it's completely empty and there's nobody in any of the chairs in the train. And this is saying so much about the time. And there was that dude with the uh, mask on in the back of her on the TV and like just little things like that where it's like, you can take your work and you can really bring it to the next level just by incorporating small things that you know, go against tentative normalcies that you see in images. And I think the more you push imagery and the more that you make work that's innovative, the more that you're you're breaking boundaries in art, you know? And I think innovative work comes from pushing those boundaries and pushing ways to make work. And I don't want to see the same thing that's been on Instagram through 40 different photographers. I'm always following that one photographer that I saw that image and I couldn't get it out of my head and put it in my saved because it was so different and the angle was so different and the way that it was shot was so different. And I was like, I need this image in my saved because it's different, you know? And I think those are the artists making that innovative work. Those are the artists making that work that is gonna get us to the next generations of art and the next like inspirations in art because they're just pushing those boundaries constantly. And that's something I definitely try to do in my work, but it's always gonna be a growing process and it's always gonna be more complex and it's gonna get deeper the more that I understand me and my work and how I wanna put my stuff out. So it's just gonna always be you know, a process. How, how much can I push the boundaries with this? Conversations is available on all major podcast platforms. Like this episode, subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We promise we'll give you a hug if we ever see you in the real world, or at least a high five. Visit us at the Photographic Journal for our latest interviews, photo essays, and features. Want even more? Follow us on Instagram at TPJ.